Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Commodore Oliver Hazard Perry was a great American hero in the War of 1812. He, was, uh, he pulled off a, a spectacular naval battle in the Battle of Lake Erie against the British Navy. In his triumphant report to his superiors following the battle, he penned these words with which you might be familiar. We have met the enemy and they are ours. A little over 150 years later, Walt Kelly, the creator of the comic strip Pogo, penned an Earth Day cartoon where uh, he took that phrase from Commodore Perry and kind of turned it on its head as he was lamenting what the kinds of things that human beings have, have done to our environment. He said, we have met the enemy and he is us. Just the opposite, right? One way it is that that we have defeated the enemy, and the other way it is that we are the enemy. And yet both of those are true at one time or another in the life of every Christian. That's what we want to think about this morning. And, And to do that, we're going to kind of weave in and out of all three of the Scripture readings that we just heard. We're going to begin with the Old Testament lesson where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Now, you have to know the backstory to that, how his brothers had, had been incredibly cruel to him and sold him into slavery, really into certain death. They must have forgotten about him long ago and, and thought that, uh, that he had died long ago. And now he reveals himself to them. I am Joseph, your brother. What we read about them is that they were dismayed, terrified, feeling hopeless in his presence. That gets us to the first point in your sermon outline on page three of the service folder, that that we have met the enemy and he is us when we sin. So often we are our own worst enemy. And that's what Joseph's brothers realized, that that whatever he was going to do to them, and they didn't know what it was, but they knew it was going to be awful. They knew whatever that he he would do to them, they had brought upon themselves. No wonder they were dismayed. I think there was something else involved. The scriptures don't say this, so I'm I'm reading it into it, but I, I think this is correct, that they were also dismayed, not just because of what they had done to him, but what they knew that they would do if they were in his position. Somebody had betrayed them the way that they had betrayed him. It would not be pretty. I also think that's at least partly what Jesus had in mind in our gospel reading. When he says to us, judge not, and you will not be judged. 
Now that's a Bible verse that has been misused and, and misapplied so much, especially in recent times, that I want to make sure we know what it does not mean as well as what it does mean. It does not mean that there's no way that we have a right to, to judge someone's actions. We do. In fact, we're commanded to do that, to judge actions by God's word, to call a sin a sin. What Jesus warns us against doing is not to judge someone's actions, but rather to judge their motivation. Because what happens when we think that we can see into someone else's heart? What are we really doing? We are revealing what is in our heart. So when we say, well, I know the reason they did that was this, what we're really saying is, well, that's what I would have done. That's why I would have done it. So Jesus says to us, don't do that. Don't judge motivation. Judge not, so that you will not be judged. The enemy is us when we sin. Secondly, when we doubt. That's what was going on among the Christians living in Corinth when Paul was writing to them. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 usually is read only on Easter Sunday. The Epiphany season is pretty long this year, and so, so we get a few more verses and all, or, uh, chapters than oftentimes we do. I'm glad that we're reading 1 Corinthians 15, um, not just on Easter this year, but some other times as well, because it's not just an Easter chapter. It's an everyday chapter. But not for the Corinthians, at least not until it had been written. Their problem was that they, not so much they were wondering whether Jesus had risen from the dead. No, they were wondering more, will Christians rise from the dead on the last day? And so they ask a question that I used to understand as kind of an innocent curiosity. Like, well, well, how are the dead raised? Yeah, I wonder, what will our bodies look like? I'm not so sure that it was such an innocent question the more I study these verses. I think it might well have instead been, been challenging the whole doctrine of the resurrection of the dead that, that we proclaim such, such wonderful belief in in the Apostles' Creed. How are the dead raised? How can they be raised? They're, they're disintegrated in the grave. There's no body left to be raised up. How can the dead be raised? And, and I'm wondering if that's what they were saying, especially because of the way that Paul addresses it. When he says, you foolish people. Don't you know a body first has to seed, first has to die before it can be raised? And so he goes on to address the, the general teaching of the resurrection of all flesh using the resurrection of Jesus' body to prove his point. But by doubting the resurrection of the dead, the Corinthian Christians were depriving themselves of the great comfort that knowing the resurrection brings. So they were their own worst enemies in that case. We have met the enemy and he is us also when we focus on self. That is the essence of sin and, and really the very definition of it. It's also what is celebrated so much these days. Well, well she has to do what makes her happy. Or, or well, I'm glad he did what was right for him. 
Speaking of celebrating, last week in his sermon, Pastor Kaiser uh, mentioned the New York legislature's passing of a bill that, that basically legalized abortion at any time, for any reason, by any method. And you might think that they do something so barbaric in secret hoping that nobody would really notice what they had done. But just the opposite happened. Look at the celebration. The legislative chambers erupt in cheers with the passage of the Reproductive Health Act. And just in case somebody wasn't able to see that, they lit up the Freedom Tower with with pink lights to broadcast to the world the evil that they had just perpetrated. That's the natural outcome of focus on self. To be so focused on self that we won't even think about others. You know, we do not escape that kind of thinking. I'm not talking about abortion or, or late-term abortion. I'm, I'm just talking in general, this focus on self. And I was reminded of that again this past week. I, I received yet another fundraising letter. It's funny, it's not even Christmas time, but yeah, here, here one came. But it's a very well-written letter. And in that letter, the author uh, reminded us of uh, something that I already knew, a survey that's been out for a couple of years, not that long, but, but for a couple of years, to try to make his point about the importance of what his institution does. And he was quoting the, the subject matter of a, of a survey that was taken in, in the United States that, that said, you know, react to this statement, agree or disagree. Uh, the highest goal in life is to enjoy life. Of those who were polled and answered the question, 84% agreed with that statement. Two-thirds of them were Christian. When we do that, when, when we focus on self, we are once again our own worst enemy. We have observed that how many times in the lives of other people? We've experienced that how many times in our own lives? And, and we've seen it so clearly over and over again in the scriptures. We have met the enemy. And he is us. But thank God there's another side to this. That we have met the enemy and and he is ours. That, of course, is only by, by God's power and, and grace and, and with his help. The enemy is ours first when we believe. We know that death is real. How marvelous to know by faith that the resurrection of the dead is also real. Paul says that the last enemy, the most fearsome enemy we know, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And this is a, this is a bit of, a, of an already and, and not yet scenario. Not yet. Death still reigns. Death still takes a toll. The pain of the separation that, that it brings can be almost unbearable. 
But that pain has been lessened. So already we are beginning, just beginning, but beginning to benefit from the fact that death has been defeated and ultimately will be destroyed. Some of the pain is lessened. The fear can be reduced, even removed. I have been with many Christians as they are drawing their last breath. I've been with many more families as they have made preparations to bury their loved ones. And I have seen how this works. Faith in the resurrection brings such comfort and such hope to God's people. And we can meet that enemy of death head on and know that he is ours when we believe. Also, when we love. Sermon outline reminds us that forgiveness frees us. Both when we are the one being forgiven and when we are the one doing the forgiving like Joseph. By forgiving his brothers, he was freed from the burden of bitterness. Bitterness enslaves us to the past. Forgiveness frees us for the future. That's what Joseph was looking to, by the, by the grace and the, the power of God as he recognized God's purpose in allowing those things to happen to him that did happen to him. Forgiveness freed him, it also freed his brothers from their fear of Joseph, from their guilt over what they had done. And that's uh, pointed out by what I think is kind of an interesting phrase at the very end of the, of the gospel reading where the writer of Genesis, uh, Moses, says, after that, his brothers talked to him. But what does that mean? They had already been talking to him. Except they couldn't talk to him right away. When he first revealed himself to them, the, the Bible says they couldn't answer him. They were speechless in his presence. Well, of course they were. They were scared to death of what he was going to do now. But once he had forgiven them, they could talk with him like they used to before that relationship had been restored. Like they used to when they were young and growing up and when they, when they joked with each other and, and were comfortable in one another's presence. That's what that little sentence tells us now that they talked to him. They were no longer frightened of him. They were comfortable to be in his presence. That's what happens for us when God forgives us and when we recognize his forgiveness in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness that he so freely grants to us. His love changes us. His, his love for us makes us comfortable to be in his presence and, and we can talk to him in our prayers. But that love changes us our love changes others. Jesus tells us twice in our gospel lesson to love our enemies. He's no, he knows that's the only way to make the enemy ours 
is by loving her or loving him. Interesting, isn't it? That's the last strategy you want to use in international affairs. But it's the only strategy that works in interpersonal relations. As we love our enemy so that they begin to feel and experience that love and to turn from being our enemy to being our friend. The enemy is ours when we believe and and when we love and when we focus on others. This is the essence of God. Focusing on self is the essence of sin. Focusing on others is the essence of God. Whenever we're able to do that, and sometimes we are, whenever we are able to focus on others, we are acting like God. We are acting the way he created us to in the first place and recreated us in Christ Jesus to be able to do. And so Jesus in the gospel lesson gives us many examples of what that's going to look like. To give to everyone who begs from you. As you wish others would do to you, do so to them. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And when we do those kinds of things, when we love others and focus on their needs, what is the result? Jesus tells us, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Wow. When we focus on others, good things, great things happen for us. That's not why we do it. That's what happens when we do it. When we trust God, when we forgive those who have sinned against us, when we focus on others, whenever we're able to do those things, it is indeed true that we have met the enemy in whatever form that comes. We have met the enemy and he is ours. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.